Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Yo Mama. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show. Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Herbert Linger Fruit Wine. Our wine is 100% insecticide-free and get slapped in the face by our Moira Rosé, only at Herb Ertlinger's Fruit Wine. Welcome, everybody, <laughs> to The Vessel. I am Wes. And I am Todd. And this is a film podcast where normally we pick apart movies. I would say we're like 98% movie-centric. Uh, and then 2% of the time, we'll, we'll tackle TV shows. Um, but the goal is usually to, you know... Dive into the story, the character, the writing, try to see what we can learn or what's different, what stands out, why it's good, maybe why it's not working, how it could be better from our perspectives as filmmakers, uh, actors, writers. Um, Todd's a full-time producer. I wear the producer hat, but very reluctantly. That's that's like the, the I don't know, DEFCON 1, like everything has gone bananas and now Wes has to wear <laughs> this stupid, way to put it. silly hat. <laughs> It's a great way to make me feel really wanted. You yeah, are like, much desired. Right, great job. <laughs> awesome. What are we going to do today, man? We have a lot, a lot in store. We, we do have a lot. Uh, so to, today we are covering Shit's Creek, if you couldn't tell from the, uh, from the intro there. Um, so if you haven't seen it, it's streaming on Netflix, all six seasons. Go take a week and watch it and then come listen. I don't know. Or just listen now and then... And then watch it. This is one of those ones where it's like, I'm not going to ask you to go watch six seasons of a show so you can enjoy our podcast. How about you just listen if you like and then watch it and get out of it what you will. It's a tall order. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about so much. This is probably the most notes I've taken so far to date. This is episode, I think, 153. Oh, great. Um, give or take an episode. And I think the next runner up might be like The Departed. But yeah, I have so much and some of it will include, uh, we'll, we'll touch on lightly the cinematography. We'll talk about sitcom lighting. Um, we'll also dive into story and writing, the setup, the situation and why it works, right? This is a sitcom, uh, which stands for situation comedy. Um, and we'll talk about what that is and why it works, what Shit's Creek is doing with theirs. We'll dive into some of the characters and performances. We'll do a really deep dive into the arc of Alexis. Um, I thought they did something very special with her character. Um, we'll also touch on the Overton window, what it is, of course, uh, but also, you know, expanding cultural acceptance of once provocative ideas and other such stuff and things and stuff. Quick synopsis of the show. When rich video store magnet Johnny Rose and his family suddenly find themselves broke, they are forced to leave their pampered lives to regroup in Schitt's Creek. Created by Dan Le Levy and Eugene Levy. Uh, Levy? Levy? Levy. Levy. Uh, cinematography by Gerald Packer, starring Eugene Levy as Johnny Rose, Catherine O'Hara as Moira Rose, Dan Levy as David Rose, Annie Murphy as Alexis Rose, Chris Elliott as Roland Schitt, Jennifer Robertson as Jocelyn, Emily Hampshire as Stevie, Sarah Levy as Twyla, Dustin Milligan as Ted, and Noah Reed as Patrick. We have to kill around here to get another bottle of this undrinkable wine. I think it's good. I ordered the one with the highest alcohol content. What do you do, Roland? Something in agriculture, by the looks of it. Roland is actually the mayor of our town. Oh! oh. 
Not Shitsville, I hope. <laughs> what do you even call someone from Shitsville? A shitter? A shithead? Okay, you know what? John. John. Don't worry, Moira. I won't say anything untoward. We're just having fun, John. And I thought we were having fun, Bev, but you know what? We're not. Oh, come on. It's just a joke. No, Don. Here's the joke. The joke is I'm sitting here in a half-decent restaurant with my wife and our friends. And all you two have done is complain about the food and pretend that you didn't leave us high and dry after we lost everything. Oh, we're past all that now. I'm not quite past it, Moira. You wrote us off, Don. Not a phone call, not an email, not a nickel. Roland and Jocelyn here could not have been more generous with what little they have. They found us a place to live. They've offered us their truck whenever we've needed it. They've invited us to their parties. They even offered to take us out to dinner tonight. Well, <clears throat> just to be clear, Johnny, we were always going to split the bill. It's just with a coupon which Rolly, you needed. Rolly. And that town you passed through, it's not called Shitsville. It's called Shits Creek. And it's where we live. Man, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course you're gonna of course in a in a show full of like hilarious moments, you're gonna pick the serious one. Yeah. Right. Why not? I think this is probably the first serious moment, right? In the show. Yeah, I, maybe probably. I mean, one I'm sure them. they have some lighter ones, but this one felt like the first time they were defending the town. I was like, you know what? Yeah. Two seasons in, I'm trying to think if they had any other real encounters with their past life. I think maybe her sister popped by somewhere in season two, but this felt like the real first time that they could have chosen to feel included in their past life and their past uh, selves. And he went along until he was like, you know what? That's not me anymore. Yeah, and I love that. I, obviously, there's a reason I picked that, and it's for all the reasons you would assume. And so, yeah, six seasons. How long did it take for you to get rolling? No pun intended. Um. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, so it was funny. You know, my my mother, my mother actually turned me on to it. We were visiting my parents in Houston, my uh, my family and I, and the kids were asleep, and we were looking for something to watch. My mom said, "Have you have you watched the show?" Shit's Creek. And I was like, mom, watch your mouth. No, I said, I said, yeah, I've heard of it, but I hadn't, I hadn't, you know, watched it. This was at, you know, well after the, the show had ended, um, yeah, actually just a couple of months ago. Right. So we watched a few episodes and I'm sitting there watching it thinking my mother is like devout Catholic goes to church all the time. It's like watching this and like, I was just very surprised that she turned it on, turned me on to it. And we just loved it. We stayed up and we watched, I think like six episodes or so, five or six episodes. They, my parents went to bed and my wife and I kept watching. And then we just got into it to where it was like, we wanted to see where the roses were going and what was happening to Alexis and all of the things. And so we just kept coming back to it. My wife and I, we had, this was our show for a while. 
you know, we have a couple of kids that we can't like binge necessarily, but you know, we would sit down and watch five or six episodes. And I mean, you could call that binging, I guess, but we'd stay up late and watch them. And it was just so good. So I think it all in all, it probably took us a good month to get through it. Um, which, you know, typically doesn't take us that long, but there are six seasons and they're full seasons. They're like 13, 14 episodes, you know? So we barreled through it and just loved like pretty much every minute of it. I mean, sometimes uh, there were a couple episodes towards the end uh, where we were not the episode itself, but maybe like the season finale of maybe like season five or something. Mm -hmm. We were like, Oh really? Hmm. Maybe it was season four. I don't know. But other than that, I mean, like I felt like the story arc was just so good. You just loved everyone. And you know, I I really want to get into your notes because I want to, I'm sure you're going to bring up some things that I want to talk about, but I don't want to step over your notes. So I just loved, you know, we just loved it. We just it, thought it I was think just wonderful. I think it's so funny because I had a, a somewhat similar experience. My mom for the last four or five years was trying to get me to watch this show. And it's so funny because our taste aligned half the time. Um, it's not like you and I were our taste aligned probably 97% of the time, right? Very small divergence. Yeah. Um, but with my mom, we can love the same things, but then sometimes... Uh, there might be a film like it follows that I'm just gaga over and and she's just like hated it didn't get it like so boring I'm like <laughs> what <laughs> and what I find funny about like both of our moms you know if maybe if if you want to elucidate the audience about the kind of person your mom is in terms of you know her religious background and uh, belief system because it's tell everybody like I don't know is it surprising to you that your mom would like this kind of show? Uh, yeah, yeah, very much. Um, so she's devout Catholic, like hardcore goes to church, you know, a lot. And we have, you know, some, a couple of my, my cousins are lesbian and have been with their partners for years. One of them is married to them. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. One of them is married to them. And so, and you know, it's been an ongoing thing in my family, of, you know, we have this war, right? It's, and I guess my mother has this war where, you know, she loves my cousins, both of them, but just disapproves with, with their, their choice, but because she sees it as a choice, um, but their choice to participate in it. And, but the kicker is that not only does she love my cousins, but she loves their partners too. Like loves wow. them. Like you can't say Chris without saying Jill. Like it's literally Chris and Jill. Like that's their name now. And so it's just fun. And they have, they have, uh, twins, you know, so I have a niece and nephew from them and they, everybody, you know, we love them and everything. And of, of course, you know, they're part of the family and everything, but to see, to, to have her suggest this, and then there's, there's extramarital or out, outside sex, outside of marriage in the show and, and everything. And, and it just is, it was surprising. I guess. And the more the show went on, it was even more surprising. But I think that really her, her, the reason why she was trying to, she like loved it was the idea of, you know, a family, an affluent family being taken from their, their nice digs and have to live basically in squalor. Right. And she just loved the dichotomy of that. And I think that she didn't really, she probably didn't watch the entire show. She probably didn't get through six seasons before she, she said, Hey, we need to watch this. And I, I really do wonder what she think of it now. 
but there were a few, and I can't tell you the actual moments, but there were just several moments in there. Where I looked at my wife and I was like, my mother told us to watch this, you know, and early on, like in season one, I was like pretty surprised. Yeah. So it was, it was shocking for That's sure. What I find so funny and to be fair, like my mom isn't nearly devout with almost anything. <laughs> she's, um, <laughs> but you know, she's, she's a country girl, uh, grew up in a very small Texas town and raised me in a different small Texas town uh, and has moved in, in and out of several other small Texas towns. <laughs> like she has zero interest in moving to Austin or, you know, Houston. Like those are, this is a big city. She sees me in Austin and she says, and it's the most ridiculous thing. So everybody feel free to collectively roll your eyes. I have two big brothers that both were in the military, both served in Iraq and Afghanistan war zones. And she would say to me, this is where you don't roll your eyes at that, like F you, but like, roll your eyes at yeah. this part where she would tell me like, I worry about you driving in Austin traffic more than I worry about, you know, Trav and Justin in, in Iraq. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Stop. Like oh that's, gosh. Uh, but I think she's probably sincere because, you know, you know uh, I forget the, the, the phrase, but you know, country mouse in the city kind of thing. And it's just so hilarious to me, but. I guess I think it's interesting, and this gets into something, you know, I was talking about it in the rundown, which is the Overton window. And if you're not familiar with that phrase, it's the idea of what's acceptable in, in this like gap and overlap with public perspective, like what's receptive, what's okay in public discourse. So for example, think back, you know, 20 years and the idea of smoking pot, weed, marijuana, was really unacceptable. If you smoked weed, my God, you're you're a dopehead. You should be in jail. If 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 only if none of that, then at, at a minimum you were just looked down on. Like uh, mm -hmm. you're a little bit less than. And of course, fast forward to you know 2021, and it's like whatever. Like it's being legalized, uh, which in I'm sure in the 2000s was just absurd to think about. Uh, but now it's largely being legalized throughout the country. Like it's only a matter of time before. And that has to do with it's become more acceptable in public discourse um, as it's, it's a non it's non factor. It's like, eh, whatever, let people do what they want with their body. And it's not politicians who have done that. And this is why the Overton window, I think, is significant as a as a frame of reference when thinking about our culture. Um, it's because politicians only champion what's within the Overton window. It's very rare for a politician to take up a, a cause like weed and say legalize it if it's not already acceptable. Politicians rarely push those boundaries. Like you'll find them. I'm not saying they don't exist, but they don't get elected. <laughs> like. Uh, it's just it just doesn't really happen. And to that end, whenever this is why shows like Shit's Creek and TV and art and culture are so important, it's a very important uh, utility in expanding the Overton window to include things that are common sense that shouldn't be that should be a no brainer. Things like, you know, gay marriage. And we're here, you know, on a show watching a, a, a show that includes gay marriage. And it's a very non-factor. Um, and we've seen sitcoms do this and TV shows and movies do this throughout, throughout history, our, our history anyway. And 
I think it's been more important in TV because TV is much more closely regulated by the government and through public opinion. Um, and so having something show up on your TV, like Star Trek, right? Uh, and Michelle Nichols and whatever his face is, uh, William Shatner. It's funny. I remember her name, but not his. Um, yeah. But they, they had their first interracial kiss on TV. Like that's that was a very big deal in, in its time. Um, and then... You know, you had friends back in the day, had a, a gay wedding in one of their early seasons. Uh, and so you just threw it. And I don't know all the other mile markers. I'm sorry. I haven't watched that much TV, to be completely honest. But it's really important. And to expose people who otherwise wouldn't get exposed to some of these things in their natural circle of influence. Like, it's really cool that at a minimum, you know, a lot of your family has, you know, gay couples and hope at least one probably you know gay marriage in the family and it's like yeah they're just people and i love the way schitt's creek ex used that storyline because very little of it had to do with the fact that they're gay like that was a complete uh non-issue with the exception of i think one episode that you know we'll touch on at some point but like they just treated it like a normal relationship and that's so important and it's so uh interesting because maybe in past sitcoms that would have been a much bigger deal and it would have been a bigger focus but they they did a great job of lightly touching on it letting it you know be a thing for one of the characters but it wasn't like this very overwhelming driving thing storyline it was just like uh i don't know i think dawson's creek had a big storyline about that uh i've never watched it i've just heard people talk about it and and they didn't have to do that. And you could look at it in a number of ways. On the one hand, that's the progress we made. Um, or two, that's the cleverness of uh, Dan Levy uh, and his writing genius is to say, we're just going to show it as relationships are. We're not going to make it a special thing because this is the way it should be viewed. It should be viewed as a completely normal thing. Um, and so there's a lot of lenses you can put on it. And I'm still only scratching the surface on that. Uh, but that's one of the things I really love that people like my mom are watching that sh this show and they might be drawn in by the idea of seeing themselves, you know, represented on TV, which, again, this is the importance of art and entertainment is people get to see themselves on TV and that's a draw. It's good. And, but now we can also show the culture clash of these are things that the normal audience for a Schitt's Creek probably wouldn't get exposed to that much. But here, you know, I don't know how much of that we saw in like, oh, what was that other Netflix show? Other Netflix, this wasn't a Netflix show, but uh, the one with Ashton Kutcher, whatever, uh, The Ranch. Like, I don't remember there being mm. any kind of uh, LG qualities to it. Uh, maybe there was, and I just only watched it once. Uh, but it's nice. It's good to have this kind of, it's, it's such a smart way to expose people to ideas and concepts that they wouldn't normally be exposed to. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if you have an opinion on like the idea that your mom was drawn into this and maybe she didn't finish it. Maybe it became too much for her or maybe it just kind of became a, a thing that eventually she just kind of grew accustomed to. Because I know I have a lot of Christian friends still. And I can imagine they get a little queasy watching two men kiss. And I think you need you need to get exposed to it before you finally are like, yeah, whatever. It's just two people kissing um, mm -hmm. and it's becomes a normal part of your day and you're less squeamish because you've been slowly like exposed to it. And I think that's a healthy thing and a healthy way to, to come by new ideas and, and life experiences. Yeah. I mean, in that, in that case, my mom would probably argue that it's, it's a mm -hmm. negative thing because then it's exposure. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that's not, not, 
not exactly, not to this extreme, but oh yeah, that, the Nazis use that, right? You know, just exposure, <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. You expose somebody to enough murder and all of a sudden mm. murder doesn't matter to them. Like that's, that's the excuse that I always got growing up of why not to watch, you know, scary movies. And, and I, you know, I think that there is something to that, right? But mm. this is not the same thing, right? right? And, and the, the, the argument that I've always had with my mother is, is like, okay, the Nazis are trying to, we're trying to murder people, right? That has nothing to do with love. <laughs> Absolutely violence. nothing to do with it. It's the antithesis of that. Right. It is hate and, and murder and death. And what two homosexual people are doing is loving each other. So I don't understand how that could be bad. So yeah. it's bad because your book says it's bad, yeah. whatever. Okay. So I'm not going to go down that route, but yeah. I do, I don't think that she watched the entire show, right? Mm. It's a, it's asking a lot of my, of my mom to watch six full seasons, but maybe she got to some points so that she wasn't super excited about and, and that that's okay. And I hope that she did. And I hope that the exposure of, of loving David to up until those moments, mm. you know, had some effect. I don't think it had any more effect than loving my cousin and then she comes out and then she marries her partner and then they have kids. And like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's, that's a more extreme, like real version of this, but it's it, there, it is saying something that a show like this can draw someone in whether you're, I mean, having nothing to do with, you know, whether you're pro or against, mm. but drawing someone in, making them fall in love with the character having them ask questions of, is David even gay? Because like when I remember, you know, when I first started the the show, I was, th I was thinking, wait a minute, he, he gets with Stevie. They, they hook up, but he's totally gay. He's completely <laughs> gay. He has to be gay, right? He's gay, right? And a few other, few times I'd lean over my wife, like he's gay, right? That's, I thought he was, I thought he was gay, but he's sleeping with Stevie. Okay. Okay. Reassess. Don't, you know, judge mm -hmm. or anything, but his, he's just got, you know, whatever. And, uh, and then it turns out he was, and I'm like, okay, all right, fine. But it was never, it was never like a focus of the show, yeah. with, like you said before. And I loved that. And I loved that little conversation that he has with Stevie because she was a little myth too. And then, uh, they had that awesome conversation in the wine store where he's, she was like, I, I like red wine and. I thought you also liked red wine. He's like, oh, I like to drink some white. I'm not even against a little rosé. Like sometimes I drink some rosé. She's like, oh, okay. And he he sums it up so perfectly. And it, I know it's been shouted around the internet for ever since. But uh, he, he uses this phrase, I like the wine, not the label. And that's such a beautiful way for uh, him to summarize. Like, man, I just see people. It doesn't really matter. Everything else is just details. But I really just see people. And the fact yeah. that he ended up with a guy, I feel like it's just incidental. He just happened to really like that person. Um, and he just happened to be a guy because this guy, you know, came along yeah. and swept him off his feet. He was like so there for him and he was engaged and interested in him and helping him and being a part of his life. And that's an irresistible thing, no matter, you know, where you stand on on your sexuality, like any person in, like that yeah. enters your life, you're going to be attracted to them, even if it's not physical. Um, but the fact that he was open to it, just put it over the top for him, I'm sure. But, yeah. Yeah. Very good point. I'm glad you brought that up. That was that famous line. I like the wine, not the label. So good. Yeah. I love that. 
And so, man, I'll just run through some things and cut me off. Like you'll, you'll need to cut me off 500 times by the end of this thing. Um, and so just, run just to touch on <laughs> briefly the cinematography, like comedy sitcoms are usually, you know, very imperfect in terms of the way we're going to shoot this. Like we're going to make it as simple and easy as we can. Um, and in this case, they, they stay pretty true to that. They look, it looks good. Don't get me wrong. I think this looks like a really good looking show. Um, but, uh, but they also just kind of blast the light, like, especially in their main setups in the cafe and in the hotel, they blast white light. You know, it's those interiors are just unmotivated, unsourced white light coming out of, uh, God's butt. Like it's just everywhere. And I love it because it works not just because the tone is different than a drama, you know, for a comedy, you want to make sure that it doesn't feel too dramatic, depending on the show you're going for. There's dark dramas or dark comedies, uh, where you, it does make sense to make a very dramatic light, you know, situation. But in this case, it works really well. Like let's brightly light, light everything up. And now our actors can move around in the scene. They can get physical. They don't have to worry about getting into someone's shadow or, Oh, I need to be super careful with my blocking. But if you give this very big general ambient lighting, now you, you can use your hands, you can use your physicality, but it also helps us focus on the people. And that that's important too. You know, whenever sometimes you go shallow depth of field, like it gets, it gets so dramatic and uh, so dialed in that sometimes you lose a little, you think a little bit too much about the story. Uh, those are very story driven things. And, and in this case, like, yeah, there's still a lot of story going on for sure, but it's more important to actually focus on the people themselves and to, to let them be seen and to let them be felt and heard. And because the people are where the comedy is coming from, the story this itself is just kind of an excuse to get these people into interesting uh, dynamics and, and, to, and to let that unfold, you know, is a lot easier whenever you have these big general lighting wide camera angles, all that kind of stuff. But, but a nice thing too about that is lots of light creates a sense of safety and clarity and we can see everyone's performance perfectly, but that sense of safety also also means that no matter what happens, you never feel danger. And so because of that, you always feel safe to laugh, laugh at their situation. Oh, they're being held up. This guy is holding them up. You never actually feel any danger. You literally have uh, the store being held up, you know, and you have Stevie and David and you never at all feel any danger whatsoever. And that's thanks to the cine cinematography and the way they're shooting that. Like it lets you know that this is, you know, totally fine. This is a part of the gag and uh, nothing crazy is about to pop off. But also it also allows you to light something beautifully for emotional moments. Um, like the, the sequence, it's one of the, it's simply the best, right? It's the sequence where Patrick <laughs> sings in the open mic night and he sings to David, he serenades him, right? With the, the simply the best, uh, cover. And it's just one of those, oh my God, this is too perfect. <laughs> like, it's so good. I got snot bubbles, right? It's just all, yeah. give me the tissues. Uh, but it's also beautifully lit. Like because of all of that general lighting, now whenever you specifically dial in your lighting, it allows you to create a much more uh, special emotional tone that otherwise wouldn't stand out quite as nicely. Um, and so really well done by Gerald Packer. Um, and he probably lit every single one of these episodes. Uh, I feel like I seen his name. I saw his name in, in every, every episode, mm -hmm. but if not very close to it. 
anyway, going into story and writing, and this is it for the rest of the episode because, oh my God. Um, yeah. The setup. So situation comedies always have some quirky setup. Usually, well, maybe not always, but usually have some kind of quirky setup. Um, and in this case, they're going for a very simple fish out of water story. Now, this is a very classic story style. Um, you see this with like the odd couple, all those old Jack Lemon, Walter Matthau, I almost forgot their names, classic films, right? And in this case, this is playing on the idea of a Beverly Hillbillies inverted, right? Instead of the uh, the bumpkins coming to, to, to Beverly Hills, now you have Beverly Hills coming to uh, the bumpkins. And that's just beautiful. And what I love about this is a fish out of water story in general creates very easy contrast between your main characters and the supporting cast. Uh, and of course, that contrast allows for just endless comedic opportunities. In this case, they they had to be careful, though, because rich people are being jerks is not a very sympathetic uh, situation. And in this case, they are our main characters. We need to like them. It's important in this in this story for us to like them. And so rich people being jerks to poor people or commoners like that's not a very sympathetic thing. You're just kind of going to look down on these guys. However, swindled rich people being humbled adds sympathy for comedy well put it's so good and now yes. being jerks is a hilarious attempt at them keeping some pride and dignity like that's a really great way to we're laughing at them they're being stuck up and yet they're broke more broke than anybody else around them like mm -hmm. they're relying on all these commoners uh for support and help like that's so good it's a great source of comedy and tension to to keep playing on and that's a line that is danced on for several seasons probably up until the third or fourth season uh, before things start kind of evening out and it's and it's beautiful and what also helps continue that contrast is the wardrobe they got to keep their clothes and now we get to see them mm -hmm. still in their styling which helps keep up that contrast because after a certain point and it probably gets tempting without their wardrobe it gets tempting to start to see them as the same as everyone else but now they're just kind of jerks again but by allowing them to keep dressing up in such heavy contrast with everybody it keeps them fresh and keeps you reminded that they're still in another world in their heads their their attitude isn't coming from like them just being jerks it's coming from their sense of who they are and it's someone completely different from where they're at now and so the wardrobe alone really helps continue that contrast through the run of the show and that's a brilliant choice uh by dan and eugene and, and the writing team and it also with the, the other nice thing about them being a family uh it's not just a few random rich people but a family helps because with each other they still have their old lifestyle in some ways right they have the memories of their past they all have the same taste their aesthetics their lingo they know how to talk to each other and what each other means largely um what's funny is the dad is still kind of an outsider with the rest of the family like there's all these hilarious moments like between him and alexis where he's trying to you know say something and he, they walk out the, the hotel at the same time and he's like, oh, 
how's that for timing? She's like, what? We didn't do that on purpose. He's like, yeah, I know. Um, how's that for timing? She's like, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, well, we just came out at the same time. Why are you yelling at me? <laughs> like it just kind of devolves. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's so perfect. Uh, and so in some ways he's like this negotiator between, uh, the common man and also the the rich kept lifestyle uh, because he's he is a self-made mm -hmm. man, but he's so far removed from that. And he's so used to a, a completely different style of life that he he can't really relate, especially to someone like a Roland who we will get to in a bit because he is amazing. And so all this kind of helps keep them established and rooted in who they truly are, uh, which, of course, keeps up the contrast with Schitt's Keep, uh, Creek and their, their surrounding and even the first episode is so good because settling in becomes an entire episode, uh, like the shock, the conflict, the townspeople. And I think they did a really good job of not just rushing them into the town, but making it kind of this continued 22 minute odyssey of what just happened to our lives. And all of it sucks endlessly. And it's perfect. And so let's dive in a little bit to some of the performances and the characters. And my God. I got to start with Annie Murphy. I mean, Annie Murphy and, and Catherine O'Hara make the show. Without them, the show really doesn't work. I think Eugene Levy is what pulled me into the show. Like, I only hit play finally after some other another friend was like, you got to watch the show. But I still, even with my mom and my other friend, I still only hit play because of how much I appreciate Eugene Levy. Um, and so he pulled me in. But what kept me going was Annie Murphy. She is astounding. She is always on. Like everyone is on, don't get me wrong, but she is always on. She's constantly reacting and staying in the moment and playing her character to the bone. Her physical comedy is absolutely brilliant and endlessly fun. By I think episode six or seven, I caught on to what she was doing. And I just kept hitting play just to watch her. And eventually I caught on to Catherine O'Hara too. But uh, really every episode from then on was just for Annie Murphy, just to see what she was going to do next uh, because mm -hmm. she fully realized her character and the writing team did an amazing job. And that's why much later on, I'm going to do a full on belabored. And I know that's what every listener wants to hear is that I'm about to belabor something, but I'm absolutely, <laughs> yeah, cause you don't do that already. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to dive in so hardcore into Alexis because she is such an incredibly written and performed character. Eugene Levy, he can deliver a line like nobody else can, right? His deadpan humor is absolutely incredible. And the way he can just twist a simple line is perfect. He's the perfect straight man. And, and in comedy, that's a that's kind of a, a, a vague term to announce someone that isn't very audacious in their comedy, right? They're very simple and straightforward, uh, but they provide a lot of comedic opportunity. And within their performance of being very simple, they provide also a lot of comedic punch. And whether it's the confusion or being astounded by the imbeciles around them or just trying to, you know, fit in like the straight man can perform so many roles and duties. And he is just the absolute best in the business. I don't know that I would put anybody above him to play the straight man. Um, you can go through his catalog and see that he plays that character. Absolutely perfect. Um, in every single film that he's ever done. Dan Levy. He's, he's so physical and he carries what impresses me about him is how he carries perpetual judgment and disdain 
<laughs> always for everything yes. like his reactions are constantly filled with judgment right he takes a bite of delicious ice cream in the first episode and he's judging it like oh this is good <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's so freaking amazing i just couldn't i can't really get enough of him and he does it for six straight seasons uh it's it's really impressive and as far as his character goes the barbecue scene would never this is such a good episode. Uh, season four, episode seven, it's called The Barbecue. And this is where David is having a birthday party or his family is throwing him a little barbecue birthday party. And he doesn't want his boyfriend to come, right? Patrick, he's like, this is not okay. We're not going to include him on this because uh, he's going to he's not going to be around, blah, blah, blah. But he finally lets his guard down and lets Patrick come to a family barbecue only to have Patrick's ex-fiance show up. And I love this execution. It's absolutely perfect because it's the worst possible timing because David finally feels safe. And so in this moment of safety, let's completely jeopardize uh, not just his emotional well-being, but his relationship as well. Like that's a great turn and execution of that episode and his character in general, because his character doesn't have a ton of arc to it, um, in my opinion. He goes somewhere and he he does he does have an arc, uh, but it's not heavily emphasized throughout the six seasons not in the same way that alexis is and no other character has what alexis has and maybe well I'll, I'll come to that but that episode i thought was great as a means of giving him some movement and his character arc and also just uh to provide him some some real good meat uh because it doesn't end there i think it it overlaps into the next episode when he's getting all these gifts from patrick and he just he doesn't want to make up with them yet because he keeps getting these gifts it's like so good so freaking yeah. good mm-hmm. um also love the the scene uh in his engagement announcement right there's this really good setup where david has this in there him and patrick are you know it's the episode after they they get engaged david says yes and they're in bed and the next morning they're like how are we going to announce this and david's like i haven't really thought about it too much and then he lays out this elaborately specific way he wants to announce his engagement to his family right he's he's giving a toast to his family his sister's crying just enough to trigger everybody else <laughs> and it's like yeah. this very realized idea and if you if you understand what's happening as a viewer, you also understand none of that's going to happen, right? That is the exact opposite. But I love that they set it up so perfectly because the there's two payoffs that follow. There's the co- comedic payoff where he lets Stevie know, which turns into this cascade of events that crudely exposes his engagement. His mom gets upset and starts yelling it, and Alexis comes in, and she's like, what? And it's just uh, anything but this beautiful moment. Uh, but there's also this really, really good emotional payoff because Stevie runs away in this episode and it's suddenly looking like she's abandoning uh, the cabaret performance uh, because he set her off. She doesn't know what she wants to do in life. And then the emotional payoff comes when we find out she didn't run away. She went to get him his first engagement gift. That's such a beautiful payoff. Oh, my God. And so he doesn't get the thing that he thought he wanted he gets maybe not better but still something very beautiful and i feel like we got to experience both we got to experience what it's like to him in his in his head what he really wants but then we got another payoff that's uh very different but included comedy and still an emotional touch with someone he didn't really even include in his dream and so it's it's a really perfect encapsulation uh and a great way to frame it and of course that 
episode ended with that incredible musical number um with patrick yeah who is a badass like he is my god he transformed him in the, in the the outfit and singing and dancing i was blown away i was like wow i don't like musicals um but i was there for that all day <laughs> yeah Catherine o'hara my god she's a genius like an actual genius and you had to be absolutely floored with how she was constantly creating and inventing on the fly. Like she turns a simple line of dialogue into a hilarious journey. I'm sure there's a thousand cuts out there with her best moments. Like I just could not get enough from her. And there's this episode, uh, season three, episode 12. It's the soft opening of Rose Apothecary. And this is not part of her like comedic genius on the outside but this is a really good performance um, that is deceptively simple and it's when she and and johnny enter she enters first but they're having the soft opening right that they thought nobody was going to show up to and of course it's packed out right there was a line around the corner and so she's entering and she has this wow moment after seeing all the customers now what i like about that is that there is these massive windows on the storefront she could clearly see before she entered the store but for her performance, she created the clear before and after moment to give contrast that allowed you to see the wow. And so she framed each moment clearly for the camera to read. And so before, you know, she's entered, she's walking in, she's kind of looking at the doorknob. She looks back at her husband and then she looks up and then you go from this kind of deadpan uh, look and then you see the wow kind of come over her face. And that's a very simple one-on-one kind of performance, um, but she executed it beautifully. And I think a lot of newer actors might, might miss that. They might start the wow moment outside and that would be a mistake. And, you know, as an audience member, some of them might say oh, they could see beforehand, but most people will be waiting for that wow moment. Um, like, or when are they going to realize, you know, and she extends it to the moment when she can properly react. They probably had the, uh, the boom op on the inside, right? So you want to catch the audio. And so it's just a really smart, simple performance um, that kind of betrays all the other brilliant stuff that she does episode in and out. Chris Elliott, I have a love-hate relationship with him. I think he's hilarious and perfect. As a kid, I remember really enjoying him. And then as I grew up, I remember being super annoyed with him. <laughs> yeah. But he's perfect. He's a fantastic foil. And really, most of the time, he's kind of a plot device because he constantly forces storylines through his brutal and considerate nature, right? He's just a freaking bull in a china shop. He's, he's perfect. Yeah. He's amazing. Um, and he's someone that anybody would be absolutely lucky uh, to have on set uh, because even in those, he still has these really good moments like the, the season, the second to last episode, right? In the board meeting when he goes in, and it's almost the opposite. It's the, it's the literal opposite. So the clip that we played where Johnny's defending his friends um, against Roland. Now Roland is doing the same. He's like defending Johnny in front of all of mm -hmm. uh, Johnny's old friends. And it's such a really simple, beautiful moment, especially he tells them off. Then he walks back and he's like, I just realized y'all are flying us home. So let me apologize for my outburst. Uh, but I don't regret it. And here's why. And then he kind of sets them straight, you know, politely. Uh, and it's just this very beautiful moment for someone who has very, very few of them. <laughs> uh, he kind of screws everything up all the time. All the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's relentless. Last one I'll touch on is uh, Stevie. 
I she's great. Don't get me wrong. I think she she plays a really good, uh, simple character for the most part. But I love towards the the middle of the of the run. They they really gave her more. Like I love that they gave her an emotional response to everyone else's growth when she starts having these self reflections of what am I doing. It would have been very simple to just kind of not let her have that and to continue letting her just be a supporting character. I mean, that's kind of what they do with Jocelyn and, and Roland. They're they're mostly supporting characters. They don't really have a lot of big ambitions. They have a baby, um, and that's almost the extent of it. Uh, they, they kind of just let them be, and they have so much other content that it's kind of okay. But I love that they gave Stevie more. Um, because it's, it's obvious whenever you think about it, uh, but they didn't necessarily have to think about it. And I love that. She wants more than just sit behind a desk, right? And she loves what, and it's so good because her character, she loves what's happening for her friends, but she also wants more for herself. Um, and it's such a good natural human response because that makes her a three-dimensional character who's conflicted with how she feels in reaction to everything that's happening around her. Yeah, yeah she... I, I I loved her, especially, especially at the beginning, just because she just was over these people completely. But she had a she had a really good arc, too, because, you know, the relationship she had with David at first was physical and then it was very confusing and she had to develop that. And then she had to develop into, well, you know continuing to date the guy who slept with both of them and you know and then being like happy for him at the end but also like longing herself she had to go through that that whole relationship she had with the uh with the i, for, I forgot his name with the guy the um oh, uh, the Jake? hotel Jacob, uh, Jake, critic like that. oh something. yeah that's right uh, the critic had, yeah 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 you know she had to go through that that whole situation and i thought she handled it really well as an actress for her character, right? Uh, and and she developed really well. And I, it was almost like she was the real person in all of this. Like everybody's, yeah, everybody's very fit. I mean, with the with the exception of Johnny, I feel like everybody's very just over, right? Like like big in who in their character. Um, I mean, even Jocelyn, right, is like very small town you know, wife. Mm. Right. But then you have Stevie who's, she's over the small town, but she's also over these people who are from the big city and, and have money. And so she's, she's kind of like the rationality, um, to it. And I just, I thought, I think that that's, that's also a dangerous role to be in because you've got to play it real, but you still have to be entertaining at the same time. And so writing her as this character that can, that can be, I mean, aloof is the wrong term, but just can, can, can be, uh, like can joke about something, but very sarcastic about the joke is, is a fine line to do. And I thought she nailed it. She's, she's one of my favorite characters too. You're right. No, that's a really good point. She does. She is really the only normal person. And that gives us the audience, like a, a frame of reference for normality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that is super important in this kind of show where everyone's pretty outrageous. <laughs> nice. So some general notes. I thought it, every episode structurally was pretty similar, right? We have a two minute opening segment, more or less. Um, some are like 30 or 40 seconds, but it usually sets the episode's plot. And what's good, and they usually start and end the episode like this. And what I like about it is it lets us usually see the family all together before they all split up for the rest of the episode. And that keeps us grounded and rooted in them as a family unit. Because without that, you might start to forget 
their family dynamic. But the thing about a personality is you really only understand someone's personality and as a reference to those they are around. So you probably, me and Todd know each other while we're around each other. But if I go see Todd with his family, that's a different Todd. And same thing, if he goes and sees me with my family, he's going to see a different Wes. Like we all have a slightly different version of ourselves around our family. And so seeing them around each other allows us to kind of reestablish who they really are before they run around and do their thing. Um, so it serves a lot of purposes, I think, the way they structured it. And I thought that was, you know, very smart. Uh, generally throughout the, the show, they rarely fully exit scenes. Um, they normally just kind of leave us at the end of a conversation that's kind of cut off, right? Where someone says something and then we cut to, you know, David reacting to uh, this this news. And it's just like, oh my God. <laughs> and, and then we cut. Uh, it, it usually doesn't end with, okay, you know, I'm going to run the story then. It's just like, nope, we're leaving on a comedic beat almost every single time. And there's also a lot of great symmetry, right? The motel that felt like a trap. Oh, ah, just jumped the gun. So season three, episode four, Stevie inherits the hotel, right? And she is overwhelmed. And it's this really smart turn of events because now you finally, after several seasons, given have given the roses a lifeline without actually letting them leave the sitcom's facade. And of course, that provides really great symmetry. It's a motel that felt like a trap, but is now a sign of not just home, but of hope and resurrection. Um, and so it's a really nice way to kind of give them a way to crawl out of their misfortune. And I thought it was also interesting. I kind of kept a very light track of the way they tackled some common sitcom tropes and People can debate if some of these are actual sitcom tropes, but uh, I, I kind of labeled them as such. There's a pregnancy scare, right? Alexis is pregnant. Um, nope, it's Jocelyn. And there's a baby reveal, right? Where you, what, what sex is the baby? And Moira knows the sex of the baby, but Roland wants to keep it a secret. Um, and so that becomes this whole, you know, reveal thing. And of course, at the end of it, we, we realize Moira forgot. She really doesn't even know. Um, and that's a pretty funny outcome. There's a coming out of the closet episode. Now, I really like this because they they kind of played it in a couple of different ways. Patrick's parents don't know that he's gay. And what's funny is their reaction isn't that, you know, they're, you know, confused or whatever or put off. Their only confusion is that he didn't tell them. And they're just like, what did we do wrong? How did we raise yeah. this kind of person? I loved that. I loved that. I was ready. I was so ready for them, for the 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 regular trope of, of oh them being upset that he's gay, but it had nothing to do with that, and I, I just love that. And then the her her mom, the mom, his mom's, you know, reaction sitting at the table when he's she's like waiting for him to tell yeah, her. Right. She's like, it's okay, whatever. Like she's basically, you know, I wanted to say no, 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 let him tell you, let him have his moment of of like coming out, and and she did. It was beautiful. It really was. But it was just it was very like like oh my god, just tell him, just tell him, Patrick. Yeah, and I loved it because. They they definitely went against trope there. You know, it's not as tropey as normal. And they had fun, right, with the whole spoiler storyline because he's not the one that gets to tell them. It actually accidentally gets ruined by, I forget who, if it's uh, Johnny or, or someone else. But uh, it's it's that provides a whole lot of fun. But then they also let Patrick have a really sincere moment with his parents where he does come out. 
Um, and that's something, you know, coin toss, they may have gone away from, but they also pr obviously just respected the audience and like, hey, this might be an opportunity to help people um, that might be struggling with this. Because even though it's 2021, there's still a lot of differences in our culture when it comes to this. Um, and so I thought they handled it absolutely perfectly. And of course, they ended with a, a lot of great organizations that are helpful, helpful to the to the LG community, um, and a good source of information and encouragement to anybody who is still struggling. And so beautiful episode. Um, another trope was uh, the poker game. Most sitcoms have some kind of poker game, you know, storyline. Uh, and this one was kind of fun. It's, you know, fairly sim simple. Johnny thinks Bob is cheating, but I love the reveal that actually they're all just really terrible at poker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just like, I basically spent all the money I went off of you guys just to feed you. <laughs> uh, That's funny. Uh, there's a funeral um, scene or uh, episode. And this is good. This is very normal. It's a fairly typical approach to it, but it's still so much fun. Uh, Johnny gives the eulogy and Eugene Levy just kills like he is just so, so good. You have a, a demeaning job, right? David takes uh, a gig at a retail store before opening his own, right? He has a, a job at the blouse barn. Um, I feel like that's usually mm -hmm. a, a pretty common a recurring theme or trope in, in a lot of sitcoms. Um, there's an, a fight for an apartment. I've seen I've seen that happen a number of times. Uh, David versus an Alexis uh, for an apartment. And I love that they both bail on it after finding out someone died uh, in, in the apartment. Uh, that was a nice twist. That usually doesn't happen. Usually someone gets it because they deserve it more. And they both kind of landed on. Nope, we neither one of us want this thing. There's the old faithful, right? grand gesture in front of an audience and maybe you can label this under the next section uh but this is the one where ted confesses his love to alexis during speed dating and that one might be more of a movie trope but i feel like I've, I've seen that a number of times in sitcoms babysitting this is a classic sitcom episode and they did it twice and i think they even did it back to back where johnny and moira babysit and then like the next one <laughs> uh, roland abandons his baby with david and uh that one was really fun because they they turned it around to be a surprise boon like what became what should have been kind of this nightmare scenario became like this gift uh and it allowed him to secure a, a new client um or or partner yeah. in a store and i was like oh that's a fun element that i don't normally see and then they had a bunch of episodes that see that seem like a trope but maybe aren't tropes. Um, and I think this kind of goes into, I felt like they mined movies for a lot of uh, plot devices um, and, and episode ideas. Uh, and so they had a back to school episode, right? Where Alexis goes back to get her degree. Um, that's not something I really see too often in sitcoms. But again, I I've probably haven't seen as many as most people. There's a dead body episode, right? They find a dead body in a room. And there is a running for office episode. I feel like that's maybe more dramas uh, do that instead of sitcoms, right? Moira runs for council and ends up winning. Uh, there's a hunting episode. David goes turkey hunting with Stevie. I feel like that's maybe more of a movie thing, like meet the parents kind of, uh, oh, we're yeah. all going to, that's the family hunting trip. And um, that was, you know, entertaining that because that's the perfect fish out of water plus fish out of water situation, right? It's like, not only are we going to throw him, we're going to put him in the worst situation possible. Uh, let's give him a gun and make him shoot something. <laughs> like, that's absolutely <laughs> perfect. Um, it's, it's very city slickers. So 
this gets into my favorite thing in the world, which is Alexis. My God. Let's do it. I Let's think it. she is maybe the best written character in a sitcom ever. Like, I really Whoa. feel that way. Uh, she, between the performance, which is iconic, I cannot imagine, you know, in 5, 10, 15 years that we don't look back at this character and think, like, what she was doing was absolutely, you know, uh, perfect. But they gave her a, an arc that didn't just arrive in season six. Like they went through every season and built it step by step. And I don't think it was entirely an accident. I think they saw the potential pretty early on. Maybe not like episode one at the pilot, but within the first several, I think they they, they figured it out definitely by season two. Um, but in season one, episode six, I think this is where it really starts because Ted gets Alexis a book. <laughs> <laughs> and this book is called a guide to caring for something other than yourself. <laughs> I don't remember that. That's great. <laughs> it is so good because that's literally the arc that she goes on is learning to care for other people. And she fully arrives there by the end of the, uh, the show run. And it's just step by step. It's just brick by brick. And so I'm just going to run through all these other beats um, and I'm not going to, I'm going to belabor it, but I'm also not going to hang out on every single beat for too long. Season two, episode six, uh, Alexis breaks up with Mutt. And I love this. There's this moment at the end when she needs a hug from David and it's so simple, but it's new and it's uncomfortable for both of them. But it's a very vulnerable moment for her because she's asking for something that isn't material. It's emotional. And that's so mm -hmm. good. It's such a new breath of life into her character. And it, it carries into the very next episode because it's after this that she learns to be alone because there's this episode where David and Stevie are trying to go out and get laid. Like that's their goal. We're going to hit the bar and we're going to find someone and we're just going to have some meaningless throwaway sex. And Alexis has just broken up with Mutt and David is predicting she's going to come like, hey, Alexis, we're going to this bar. We're going to get laid. Uh, we'll see you there. And Alexis is like, I don't know. He's like, we'll see you there. I'll text you the address. And we're even at the bar and David's still calling his shot. He's like, we'll see her anytime now. And we never see her. And whenever he finally gets home, um, and this is something that Ted uh, was trying to tell her because she she needed to learn how to be by herself and how to you know, just be okay with that. And she gets home and she cleaned the whole place. And it's this beautiful, simple moment. And it's so perfect because David is wa walking around. She's curled up in bed and she's asleep. Um, and he's just kind of looking around. He's like, wow. Okay, she really did it. <laughs> and then he he kneels down next to the bed and he starts to pick up the, uh, the bed sheet. And she's not asleep. You hear her say, don't, David. <laughs> There's nowhere else to put stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And she never moves. You just hear her voice. And it's such a great way to break that kind of emotional tension uh, with a joke. Like it's it's just perfect. And um, it lets you know that Alexis is still in there, but that she's trying. Yeah, it's absolutely perfect. Um, and I, I'm glad they undercut the the emotional aspect with a joke because it helps to continue her character building um, by revealing that she's still her, you know? Yeah. Season two, episode 10, this is where she gets a job at the vet clinic. And it's a great little moment when she comforts this woman who lost her cat. 
because at the beginning, Ted, we're looking at her through Ted's eyes because she's doing a terrible job according to what Ted really wants out of an assistant, which is you need to be taking my calls. You need to be getting, you know, you're, you're over here abandoning calls to just talk gossip with one of uh, the clients. And then it turns out that that client had her cat die and he doesn't know what to do about it. And suddenly her skill set that looked like gossip was an opportunity for her to show empathy and kindness. And it was just so perfect because we don't really ever get to see that side of her up until that point where she's just being there for someone else. And she's using her worldly, you know, uh, uh, charisma to, to help not just that woman, but also his business. So it was like this perfectly well-rounded, even if somewhat unintentional creative moment. And I thought that was just a really beautiful exercise on by the writing team. Do you think that they knew, do you think that they planned where she was going to go? I think so. I think, I think it probably happened sometime in season two when they said, we have a really cool opportunity with the storyline with Ted um, because Ted leaves in season two and he comes back after his uh, uh, engagement, you know, vacation uh, that he went on by himself and he comes back and this is where we see Alexa's response like, oh my God, Ted. And it sucks because, and it's, I think they saw it because in season one, we could see how perfect Ted was. But he was maybe a little too perfect for Alexis. Yeah. She didn't appreciate him. And so they saw the opportunity to, to use that contrast between Mutt and Ted. We're going to give Alexis her fill of Mutt so that she can realize she doesn't want a Mutt. She wants a Ted. But she hasn't earned a Ted yet. And so I think that process of thinking about those two characters made them realize we need to make sure that she earns Ted. And then so they set about how do we make sure that she earns that relationship? And then once they had her earn it, it dawned on them, we need to see how she evolves from there. And they saw more opportunity after that. I think initially the, the goal mm -hmm. was let's make sure that she can emotionally earn audiences belief that she wants Ted. Uh, we need to see that through the, the character growth that we're, we're looking at. Yeah. Awesome. And so season two, episode 13, Alexis sees Mutt's new girlfriend. And so she has her heart broken, right? And that's when she kind of gets uh, some insight from Ted, uh, which I completely forgot to write. But just know that in that episode, she gets insight from Ted. <laughs> You're welcome. That's what yeah, we do here, for that note. That's a good note. <laughs> and there's this really great point uh, about her personality that I think the writers really did a, a smart job at, which is every time she comes across smart or well-rounded or uh, uh, evolved, they have to follow it up with some kind of off-color, self-involved comment. Mm -hmm. Like there's a scene in when she goes back to school and she like corrects the teacher, Jocelyn. She's like, actually, Marie Antoinette didn't say that. They're talking about the uh, let them eat cake moment. Mm, yes. Um, she's like, actually, Marie Antoinette didn't say that. Um, and she's like, I learned that from Kirsten Dunst. She also said that she loved my bangs at the premiere. <laughs> it's like they gave her this really <laughs> smart insight and then offset it immediately with this uh, kind of worldly, you know, joke. And it's perfect. Just a way to kind of keep the so audience good. on her toes and to make sure that we're always staying true to who Alexis is. Uh, she can be both. She can be smart and really fun and silly. Like that's it's, it's OK to be both of those things. And I think that's an important uh, kind of a, a tone to strike with the audience so that, you know. Don't be afraid to be that in your own life, I think. I agree. Season three, episode seven, she goes back to high school, right? And to 
to get her diploma, right? So that she can go to college now. And so they're continuing this evolution, right? The self-improvement uh, by letting her think about college and well, why should I stop now? What else can I accomplish? And then the, the next episode, episode eight of season three, she's upset that her dad tries to cheat for her because she wants to do the work herself. Um, and I guess at this point, she's, she's still in high school and she's, <laughs> and this is where Jocelyn kind of beats uh, Johnny over the head about how bad that paper was that Alexis wrote. And he's like, well, well, are you sure it was really bad? What about that point that I think she kind of made well? <laughs> and it's, it's a really good moment. But I love that she was fighting for herself to really earn her grades and to really do the work herself. Yeah. She wasn't looking for a, you know, a get out of jail free card. Yeah. And season three, the, the, the finale, episode 13, uh, at around the five minute mark, she feels guilty that she has a job, right? She, she's this vet assistant and she has this job that she realizes a lot of other people would kill for that job. They would love that. They love animals and they would love oh, to yeah, do what she's doing right now. This job that she only kind of tolerates. And I love that her reaction to that is, I should quit so that someone else can have this. What? Yeah. That's Alexis? Yeah. Whoa. I guess she read the book. I guess she read the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great moment. That's a really good step in her evolution. And then season four, episode four, she doesn't want to pick up a rando at the bar. There's this moment when she has, you know, this opportunity. I forget what they're doing uh, in that episode. But she realizes she has feelings for Ted. And no one else will do. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to just have meaningless fun. She actually wants a relationship with him specifically. And I love that. I love that it's just continuing in this idea that she is becoming a self-possessed you know, person. Um, and she's, she's realizing her own wants and desires. Yeah. And then the next episode, uh, episode five, season four, she meets Ted's girlfriend. And I love her reaction to that. She takes a really mature approach to just let them eat. Uh, be happy normally other sitcoms would approach this like i'm going to sabotage it and then maybe through the sabotaging they learn something about themselves i love that straight away she says nope i'm happy for her and in fact <laughs> it goes back to what she said i think she read the book because she has feelings for uh she uses her heartbreak to help her brother get her business instead Yes. Right. I remember that. If you want to repay me, David would love to have your products in his store. Boom. Mm -hmm. And then in the car ride back home, she says, I'm just glad Ted found someone who's so stable and healthy. Yeah. I can't remember. I, yeah, and you know, it's hard. It's hard to, I wonder how much she really meant that, you know, I don't think she fully meant that. She's not like full blown Alexis at the end of the, the show, but, but, it's it she even wanted saying to. that out loud yeah she wanted to mean it yes yeah yeah for no sure. one really ever means that like you're always just no you're right <laughs> i mean I, even the alexis at the end yeah. maybe wouldn't have meant that i mean i don't think anybody really means that but I mean, maybe they do but but it's an God, attitude you you're trying to adopt person. an attitude of like grace and giving and you really do at the end of the day the thing that you do genuinely want for other people is for them to be happy preferably with you but you do want their happiness above all and that is true selfless love true and, and in that aspect i i think she meant but yeah uh, it's it's a conflicted element 100 
Season four, episode 10, an old friend is in town. And that's a funny, weird episode um, because this friend is a complete jackass and a jerk, but it's her old friend. And this is her opportunity to get out of this world, out of town. And she's got a job offer and she can finally go pal around with everybody. And I love that she rejects it in order to continue on her own journey and to also it's important for each of these characters to have a moment to reject that version of themselves. And I think they each do this in their own way at some point in time. We already heard Johnny's version of it. Um, David does it in the, the second to last episode when he finally decides he doesn't want to go to New York. And then Alexis does it here. Moira does it in her own way, right? Whenever she tries to uh, harpoon her own attempt at going back to the Sunrise Bay reboot. So they each have an opportunity and it's important for them to each get that opportunity to reject their old way of life before deciding what they, what they really want for themselves. Um, and for her, that was her moment and she did it. She's, she knew she was different now and she couldn't go back. Uh, the next episode, such a good one. Uh, season four, episode 11, Mutt takes a pass and she rejects him. It's so good. Yeah. It's important because she's moved on and she's firm in her desire. Um, and it's important to give her a moment to choose Ted over Mutt, which is a complete reversal from season one, whenever she is kind of settling for Ted and really wanting Mutt the entire time. And so it's a really important aspect of her earning Ted for her to have that opportunity with Mutt and to turn it down. Emotionally, that's important for the audience uh, and for her character. And so there's also this really great moment at the end of that same episode where she's inspired to confess her love to Ted and doesn't ask for any reciprocation. She's like, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have any right to do this, but you also don't have to do anything. Just needed, mm -hmm. I don't remember what she says. I didn't write it down, but she needed to do that for herself. And uh, that was really important for her. Uh, and I think that's okay. You know, there's a time and a place. And I think that was as good a time and place as, as any for that kind of situation in life. And as a viewer, you wanted to see that. Yeah. Like you wanted to see her just just go for it, right? Get up the, the guts to to do that, right? Yeah, I don't think there's ever a show where you know somebody has feelings for someone else and you just don't want them to say anything, you know, and just let it be. No, yeah. you know, because we, you know, I don't know. I'm fascinated about being in a situation where I've like really wanted to tell somebody something and just got up the guts to do it and then it works out and everything's wonderful, right? Yeah. But, you know, whether it's wonderful or not, just at least getting up the guts to do it. So living vicariously through her do, in doing that, you kind of wanted it. And also it's a testament to them writing Ted's character. Like I remember I thought the same exact thing you said earlier when we first meet Ted, we're like, oh, this guy's so goody two shoes. Like he's going to get, she's going to eat him alive, you know? And she does, yeah. but, but his response to it and, and the, they wrote the character off the show and then back on, you know, on purpose, what they brought back was a new Ted. It was mm. the same Ted. Yeah. It was technically the same Ted, Yeah. but you know, her acknowledging that he's different when he comes back, like, Ooh, like, you know, Oh, Ted, you know, when he's on the motorcycle is it just kind of like re it, it, it recreates his character in this new kind of like, yes, he's still good at two shoes, but at the same time, he's okay with going off by himself. So he has this strength that she doesn't. Mm, right. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like, Oh, okay. Now she looks at him like something that she could aspire to in a way. And so just the brilliance of how they wrote both those characters into each other 
was so good. And it made it so for such a, a heartbreaking story at the end uh, when they actually break up and they know they have to, yeah. because, and, and that's another thing. I'm, I'm not trying to derail your notes, but <laughs> that's another thing. It's very hard to write two characters splitting up when you know they love each other and you know, they want to be together. It's just, it's, it's so, and they just killed it. Yeah. The, how they did it was just so wonderful. And they set it up for so many episodes, right? Yeah. And right after that, right after she makes that confession, the next episode is the whole singles week where Alexis realizes what she really wants is different from what she thought. Right. And she gives this really gentle speech to the, to open the singles week. And it's like profound and specific um, and really just simple and beautiful. Um, and so, oh man, I made this really, you know, random note because watching that scene, I personally, and this is certainly, you know, backseat driving over here, Monday morning quarterbacking. Mm-hmm. I think they botched her close up during her monologue. She crushed that monologue for sure. But I, I don't know if she like pissed someone off that day or if, if, if that's actually what they wanted. I don't know. The lighting was kind of flat and the makeup was a little flat too. The lens felt like it was maybe a little too wide. The, the angle felt a little too low. Like it felt like everything was out of sorts in that shot. Uh, because it's this very long, slow uh, push in and she's just crushing it and ripping your heart out. And <laughs> yeah. yet the, the the scene just really didn't pop. And I was kind of irritated, you know, for for Annie Murphy. <laughs> I'm like, this is like one of the only, if not the only push in close up monologue she had in the entire run of the show. And I just I was just wondering what's going on in this one. And if I can find that clip somewhere, I'll post it in the show notes and maybe someone can tell me why they think that's like a perfect situation because I'm going to disagree. Um, but, and so I love this, the, the, the following moment, the whole sequence is great though. Um, Ted is realizing, you know, he can trust Alexis via David. And it's this beautiful little moment between uh, David and Ted where David steps up for his sister and he tells him she's changed. I know you think, you know, you, you knew her, but it's not the same person anymore. And it's completely earned just based off of everything we've been talking about up until this moment. Um, we've been seeing her evolve and sacrifice and, and make these choices that are different from the, the Alexis that we really knew. And, and that was reinforced by her stories. We would always hear these really weird, random stories about her, uh, running around the world, doing stupid shit, running from the Yakuza or whatever. Like, and, those stories served a really good function to kind of remind us uh, who she actually is. And so David stepping up for his sister was really cool because this family fights a lot, you know, in their own way. Uh, but they also step up for each other and and they're there for each other in the, in the important moments. And that was really nice. Uh, and of course, that episode, you know, effectively ends with Ted confessing his love for Alexis. And they have the big kiss and in front of everybody. And it's whatever sparkles. It's perfect. But they didn't stop there. That would have been the simple place to, to stop her revolution. But they didn't. Season five, episode, episode two, Alexis, there's this great relationship moment between them where she isn't sentimental and she hasn't kept any keepsakes from her past relationships. Not even Ted, right? She has to go negotiate her necklace back from Twyla. 
and it's great, mm -hmm. but it also reveals she still has room to grow. There's still things that she's learning and figuring out. And so she hasn't arrived um, and that growth doesn't really stop. Episode nine of that season, great episode where she looks out for Stevie, right? Stevie gets the role that she wanted in Cabaret and she encourages, she goes behind Stevie's back and encourages Moira, her mom. She kind of corrects her a little bit and she's like, I remember when we started this, you said that you wanted to inspire the best out of people. But I think Stevie's a little terrified. I get it. You're right. I'll step up. And it was just this beautiful, simple little moment that she saw something uh, that her mom wasn't seeing. And she stepped up to, to like stepping up to your parents is never easy. I don't care who you are. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing. And I just that was such a beautiful, selfless moment. She had nothing to gain. There was nothing in it for her whatsoever. And that's perfect. Nailed it. Yeah. yeah. Episode 12, season five, Alexa has to decide to let Ted go to the, to the Galapagos, mm -hmm. um, which was really difficult, you know, for her to, to work through that. And the idea was that they would still go together. Um, of course, that would change over the next you know, several episodes. But that was a hard decision to make for, for her is to, you know, say, OK, yeah, it makes sense. And it can't be about what I want. And season six episode four she wants to be maid of honor and it's her brother that's getting married right she she has every reason to be the 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 maid of honor right she knows what to do what he's gonna like she'd be very good at it she's a people person uh, she's a party girl like there's every reason to legitimately own that role but seeing stevie having a hard time she lets her have it and it's like that's your that's your title and that's your role and of course, David asks, hey, would you give me away instead? Which I found very strange. I didn't know what to make of that. I mean, I think it's cool. I don't understand why he didn't really want Johnny to, to give him away or, or Moira. Now, at the end of the day, Moira ended up being the officiant. So that made some sense. But I was, I was a little confused, but I also thought it was cool. I, it, I like the idea of let's be unconventional. And I don't know if that was what they were going for, or if there was something else that I just missed in the story. But I loved it. I, I thought that was a really cool moment and provided a cool moment on the day of the wedding too, uh, before they, yeah, before they walked down the aisle uh, to have a little brother sister moment. And of course the, yeah. the, the comedy of she's wearing a wedding dress to his wedding. Like it's just, yeah, I just love, just love it. It's <laughs> so good. It's you still, know, there's, and there's something about uh, comedies like this that, you know, there are moments where I'm like, oh man, I really want this to be a serious moment because it's been, it's been funny and like entertaining the whole time. Just like, give me a serious moment and not getting it yeah. or like getting just like a little bit of it just makes it that much better. It do, I don't quite get everything right because the show just, it is the show, yeah. right? And and they just don't give it up. I, I, I loved that about this. I thought they break character, their normal character just enough. That was a good moment right there. I wanted it to be super serious, but I mean, then how can you be serious with Moira up there officiating? Oh it God. just. No, that's <laughs> a really good point too, because if you, if you're too serious right there, it, it feel it starts to get a little heavy because you're going to have a serious moment at the exchange of vows, you know? So save that, that drama for the actual, you know, ceremony. Yeah. Uh, great point. Keep, keep some humor. Nicely done. And so, there's a, of course, it all culminates in episode eight of the last season where she maturely calls it off with Ted as this is just the best decision for both of us. You know, this is 
Uh, let's not be selfish. It's like, wow, she has come full circle. And I think that one kind of upset a lot of people because it's just like, no, I wanted them to be together. But I think it made perfect sense because I want to see Ted go on to greatness. And the idea that he's working in the Galapagos is as a vet like that's so cool and such a, a twist that I never would have saw coming out of a show like this. And it's beautiful. And I, I wanted him to go and do that and be happy. And I wanted... I agree that she didn't belong out there either. They belong maybe together, uh, but not yet. The timing isn't right yet. And so I think they left room for a spinoff. Like if she spins off, then we can have a whole new threaded storyline where he comes back at some point, potentially for something else. You know, maybe life takes them somewhere across the way. Who knows? Uh, New York. But yeah, I thought that was a great way to, how did you feel about them ending it? Did that work for you or were you on that side of like, they sh no, they should be together? No, it worked. That's what I was saying earlier. Like it, it, it's one of those things that it's very hard to write to where it works. Cause so many times you're just like, really? Okay. Like just you sacrifice or you sacrifice, just make it work. Right. But the way that they wrote her she had to do her own thing. She had to build her life because she never had a life before, before this. She was, it was, her life was whatever her parents' money could buy, but she hadn't built her own, her own, you know, self. Mm -hmm. And so she was just then finding herself. And so to sacrifice, like he can't say, this is the, this is the opportunity of his lifetime he's been waiting for, for, for him to sacrifice for her, like, that's, I mean, that, that could happen, but it's regression, right? Yeah. Yes. It's, it's regression, which is okay. It's, it, you know, I, th I think that that would be acceptable, but that would be laying a lot on her character because she's also leaving Schitt's Creek. So not only would he not go to the Galapagos, but he would, ha he would go to New York because she has to go to New York. She has to do her life. She has to build herself. They built her character into needing to do that, which is the whole reason why they're breaking up in the first place. But the other, the only way that can happen and them stay together is if Ted goes with her because you can't end a show or, or whatever with the two, with the couple apart, right? Okay. You uh, go to the Galapagos for six months and I'm going to go to New York and we're just going to work it out. Show's over. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't do that. There needs to be some kind of finality, mm. you know, behind everything uh, that's happening, you know, and, and there's finality everywhere. So they had to end it somehow. And I thought that the way they wrote it in was just beautiful and yeah. it worked for yeah. me. And, and the, the scene they had was wonderful. They loved each other. And him coming back for just like a, a day uh, was perfect as well. Like yeah. that was his sacrifice. His sacrifice was the journey back to talk to her, you know, the journey back to, to like, like get the finality. And anyway, I love uh, her reaction. He's like, yeah. And I got sick from this milk they gave me. They made you drink milk by itself. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, I ordered it, but to be fair, there were cookies involved. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it all kind of culminates in uh, the second to the last episode, season six, episode 13, when Twyla turns out to be the secret millionaire and she hands out, hands her like this check with probably a lot of zeros and she turns it down, you know, politely because she wants to make her own way in the world. And that's such a 
perfect way to encapsulate her full journey to start at the beginning of the show. That was, she clearly didn't have her own life. Her nor David um, were 100% reliant on their parents for, for income. And to end the show, they both are self-reliant and she hasn't quite figured it all out yet, but she's willing to gamble on herself. And I think that's so cool and such a good full circle or 180, you know, uh, to, to land on. And it makes you, even if they don't give her a spinoff, like it makes you encouraged and feel like, yeah, the possibilities are out there. All these characters have something in their future that are, you know, perfect for them and make me dream for them. And that's so cool. Almost done. <laughs> so final episodes. I just had a couple notes on the final episodes. Johnny gets in front of his old friends and fails. Right. And I love that because they can't be good people. <laughs> they got to be jerks or else. Why wouldn't they have helped him out sooner? Instead, he gets in business with better people. The people that the, the woman that he meets in the lobby that welcomes them and then meets them afterwards saying like, I'm about to start my own firm and I shouldn't probably be saying this mm -hmm. right now, but we want you. And it's like, yeah, she is different. Um, and that's the kind of person we want to see him in business with because, you know, newsflash, the reason why they were in this circumstance in the first place is because of the kind of people he got in business with. They weren't good people. And so this is kind of an about face for him on choosing better business partners. It can't just be about the money. And it's a good thing that he failed, or at least they felt like he failed. He actually succeeded and she was just the only one that would recognize it. And so it all played perfectly in harmony. Like I mentioned earlier, Moira, right, rejects her reboot offer through an outrageous list of demands. She did it on purpose, right? And she says as much like she's like, no, I gave them an offer, offer they had to refuse. Uh, and then... Finally, at the very end, they come crawling back to her. She's back in showbiz. But if you remember somewhere around season four, like she was so heartbroken whenever her, her movie got canceled and she just literally couldn't come out of the closet. Like she was just drinking herself away in there. Um, she was like, why do I keep doing it? Why do I keep going back to, you know, this love that doesn't love me back? Uh, I'm done crawling back to them. And now they finally came crawling back to her. And that's such a brilliant turn on the writing to make it uh, worthy of her. Like she was always worthy, but they needed to be worthy of her. And I love that. And of course, Lexus is on her own personal journey. And David finally sees the goodness in his new friends and life and finally rejects his old life, embracing uh, Schitt's Creek. And that final episode is so good uh, because they start with all this rain and thunder. And it's so good because it's completely counter uh, to any sitcom I've probably seen a finale of. Like very rare do you have a, a, a final episode filled with rain and thunder. It's because it's counterintuitive. You want, you want some drama and you want some emotion, but ultimately you want an upbeat story. And of course they use it to, to reframe his, his wedding and it became... Uh, a source of drama for the episode. Uh, but it's also perfect for the storytelling because it's dramatic and evokes uh, the emotional undertone of ending the show itself. Like it's it's the same thing you see in movies, uh, time immemorial, right? Like you, you always see these dramatic moments taking place in the rain because it's a watershed moment. It's very, it's symbolic. It's heavily symbolic and it's always appropriate. I'm sure everybody gets tired of it uh, if you think about it. 
But if you don't think about it, if you're in the story, it always works because it's always appropriate. <laughs> it's always good. And I love that they did that here. It's very uh, unusual for a sitcom. And it just kind of goes back right again to how brilliant Dan, Dan, uh, his writing and his creative, you know, oversight on the show was. And I'm just absolutely floored with how much insight and thought they put into this uh, overall. So, yeah, I'm absolutely floored the rest at of the, the insight you put into your notes <laughs> for this episode. This is impressive that's a lot on another level yeah. that i'm used to if it's not quality i make up for it in volume <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes good sir one question for you and you can add or move on which is twyla secret multimillionaire. yay or nay how'd you feel about that i think they did it just because they wanted to emphasize that it's okay to be rich and satisfied with the simple country life. I think there was a very simple meaning they were trying to, you know, give to people who identified with that lifestyle. And I think that's good. And I think that's swell, but I have a strong opinion about it. Otherwise, how did that land for you? Uh, was it just kind of a joke and funny or did you think much about it? Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. Why not? Mm. Why not? If you're writing your own show. Yeah. She, she was wonderful the entire time. Yeah. Absolutely loved her and, and thought, you know, there were, mo there were great moments of wisdom that she imparted. And I thought that was, that was fine. So, and she was just happy constantly. And there was just some wonderful, yeah, I don't know. I, for some reason, I just accepted it as, oh, that's, that's really that I, I, I get that. I mean, cause I know I would hope that I would be like that if I was a millionaire, you know, mm. where I was just you know, I didn't care about it. I didn't live my life any different, you know? Um, and I really, I really think that I would be similar. I, I, I might not live in Schitt's Creek, but you know, nobody would know that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I guarantee you that. So why not? Yeah. Nice. Okay. I'll leave it at that yeah. then. Any final thoughts before we move into Recos? Fantastic show. Just absolutely adored it and, um, adored the characters. I thought the writing was fantastic. I thought it was ingenious to not make uh, David or, you know, same sex couple or marriage be a, a big thing, be a thing at all. It was just, it existed. It was just, it was there. And I, I thought it was a wonderful uh, way to do that. And um, yeah, uh, it's, I miss the characters uh, terribly to the point where I want to watch it again. Um, and that's the great mark of, that's a mark of a great show. Yeah. Yeah. I managed to get yeah. through the last five ep uh, seasons and change uh, over the last like four days. Like it's, it was, wow. It, it took effort. Don't get me wrong, but it also was pretty simple, like easy to like hit play every time. Yeah. I was just like, Oh yeah, I got it. I can do one more. I can do yeah. one more. <laughs> uh, nice. So what are you going to recommend awesome. this week? Yeah. So this week I'm going to recommend a show. There's, there's, I think there's three seasons now or no, there's two seasons. Um, it's just a little, little bitty bits, but, um, on Netflix called love, death and robots. Um, they have season two that just came out, um, recently. And it's just a bunch of different styles of animation. You never know what you're going to get from episode to episode. And they're all very short, you know, 11 minutes, 17 minutes, things like that. But they're completely different. One is completely different from the other. And 
Um, some are like really graphic and others are like really sweet and loving, but they all have some kind of like little hitch to them. Uh, and so when the, the second season came out, I, I jumped at it and, and I, I loved it. I thought it was, thought it was great. So yeah, yeah. love death and robots. Check nice. it out. Nicely done. I'm going to recommend another country bumpkin sitcom. If you want something that scratches that itch of being out in the country with funny characters, you'll love this show. It's called Letterkenny. It's streaming on Hulu. It's absolutely hilarious, completely different style of humor, different style of characters. And I think if you watch like two episodes, you'll, you'll get it pretty well, uh, what they're doing in there. And I, I ran through that really quick. They're very short seasons. They're like six or seven episode seasons, but it's absolutely hysterical. Um, so yeah, check that out. You'll find trailers for both of those shows in the show notes. Um, and stay tuned for next week. We're going to check out Brad Pitt in this little known movie from back in the day. Uh, it's called meet Joe black. Uh, it's funny. It actually may be little known, um, at this point in time. That's true. <laughs> meet Joe black. I'm not sure if it's streaming anywhere, but, uh, if not, you know, find it, uh, it'll probably, it's, it's, it's a lengthy one, but yeah, check it out. We'll, we'll cover that. It's next not week. streaming anywhere. Uh, you can rent it on, on YouTube or nice. whatever for four bucks, Amazon, YouTube, all the normal spots, Amazon, YouTube, all the, all the spots. Yeah. Nice. Worth it. I will say that I, if you like a drama um, and, and you like Anthony Hopkins and Brad Pitt, that'll probably be worth it. I don't, I don't want to like blow it out of proportion, but you know, if you like dramas, I think that's, that's worth the three or four bucks. And so if you're enjoying this episode and enjoying the show, uh, it would mean a lot to us. If you subscribe, drop us a review on iTunes and leave us a note. If there's something you want us to talk about or cover a film, something you know you find interesting like we didn't really talk even about the set decoration um and, and set design of Shit's creek we could have spent easily another 30 40 minutes just discussing that um so if there's something the wardrobe the wardrobe oh my god more was more was wardrobe it was like a thing it was like a whole thing right yeah we could have spent a whole episode talking about that and all her babies <laughs> <laughs> so good she's so good (laughs) so if you want to drop us a note on this episode you can do that at the pestlepodcast.com slash shits creek all one word and our quote of the day is from roger deakins in the end a film can look lousy but work because of a great performance but not the other way around that's something always worth remembering that's just absolutely perfect it almost doesn't matter who shot this it you know if the delivery from everyone on it was just out of this world. And so we believe it because yeah. we're, when we're watching a film or a show, we're watching people yeah. and we're watching people react to people. Like that's, you, you've said it before, acting is reacting. So if if you don't believe the acting, you're, you're not going to watch this and unless you're Wes, you're not going to say, oh, they botched her close up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Usually, usually you're going to say, wow, she's, that was amazing. And I felt what she said, you know, but if you're Wes, you might, you might see that. Maybe, but to be honest, I didn't notice it my first time. I only noticed it my second mm-hmm. time. There you go. I was involved. Yeah. Well done. Roger Deakins, man. Uh, he's one of the well greatest cinematographers of all time. Definitely. Amazing. Uh, thank you very much for those notes, man. The, I, I loved rehashing all six seasons with you. <laughs> um, and I, lo- I, loved, I loved this show, and I hope that our, our listeners 
loved it as well um, and loved this episode. So please share it with your friends, review us uh, on iTunes or wherever you get, you're listening to us. All that stuff really helps and uh, we really appreciate it and make a suggestion. We'd love to hear what you'd like us to cover. And until next week where we'll be doing Meet Joe Black, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies. Thank you.